welcome folks to another episode of That's Anita Live, the talk show dedicated to providing emotional healing to help you create a happier life. Listen, we are right in the middle of a series from This Is My Brave, the national nonprofit organization dedicated to ending the stigma surrounding mental illness by using storytelling. They're sharing their amazing experiences for you to learn how to change your life for the better. This week in the series, my guest is Tammy Lofink, co-founder of Rising Above Addiction and Reclaiming My Life Sober Home. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Tammy lost her son, Robert, to a drug overdose when he was 18 years old. How did your son get involved in drugs? I think um, normal experimentation when he was younger. Okay. Um, and I think it just snowballed from there. When did you first notice, what's, that kid's up to something. Something's different um, about that When kid. he was inside me. <laughs> 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 really. <laughs> Um, he was always difficult from day one. Mm. Um, I always knew something was different. I didn't know what it was. Okay. Um, he always had a big heart, great personality. He just, um, it was a lot of work. There was no downtime with Robert ever from, from the get go. It's the only way to describe it. How many kids do you have? Two. Was he older or younger? Older. Wow. So how did you handle him and then when your daughter came along? Well, I, it really accentuated Robert when my daughter came along because she was able, I don't know, quote, and she was more normal. I don't even know if I would use, if I want to use that word, but I could sit and have a conversation. She would sit and play. Like Robert could never just sit and, and play or sit at all, really. At any age? At any age. At any, and, just, and really inside the womb, it was, I, he would keep me up, always moving, my blood pressure went up. So it was, it was just, I always knew I had, I was at psychologist before he was two years old saying there's something going on. Mm -hmm. And they would always reassure me and say, oh, well, no, I don't think he has ADD. And I would get in the car and go, Whew. but then there was always that part of me that knew, I just knew. As his mom. I, I knew. So. Did the schools ever contact you about? Because now, I mean, it just seems like if a child sneezes or spells their name right. backwards, they're trying test him, right? Put him in a special, you know. No, he was. That was the thing. Hyper vigilance now. Yeah, there. he was good in school up until I think like fifth grade, going into sixth grade is when things started changing. No, not not really. He was always so well liked and like I said, his personality was neat. So it wasn't until he got into middle school and high school where he started sneaking out and didn't really care to be at school or do the school work that well, we all kind of did. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Some, some of that is just normal. Yeah, yeah teenager right, stuff. Right. But he was always to the extreme, always. When did you say, or was it just that you found him one day? Uh, well, when he was going into sixth grade, we put an alarm system on our house to keep him in because I found out he was sneaking out of the house. It didn't work, and my friends told me he's too smart for that. He, right. I was like, no, it's an alarm. Well, he, he figured that out. So the sneaking out, um, 
experimentation and then I guess the the big time was when he was 16, 17, like one time I got a call um, when I was at the grocery store and his friend said, um, Rob's just had a seizure, the ambulance is here. Again, Rob was pretty good at convincing the doctors, me, everybody, that it wasn't drugs. I always had him tested. Anytime I thought something was wrong, I would take him to the hospital, test mm -hmm. my son. Okay. Um, and then at, I think I was 17, he came home and it was clear. But each time that you had him tested, they detected nothing? They would detect, well, one time they detected um, said methadone and he had the doctors scrambling and one of the doctors called me and said, has he had Benadryl recently? And I was like, Get yeah. Out. He knew, like, like, oh, well that can show up positive. His numbers were skewed even when he went to rehab he had the doctors convinced because his numbers were skewed enough that his organs weren't processing the drugs out fast what, enough. What led to rehab? When, seven, and when he was 17, he came home and he, I had trouble waking him up. It was clear he was on something. I called 911, took him to the hospital, and the doctor came out and said, there's, so, there's several things in the system. So we sent him to rehab in Alexandria, Virginia. Well, when the doctor came out and gave you that diagnosis, how did you feel? Did you feel like finally? Well, I know knew something? when the but police and the rescue people were at my house. Robert convinced them, he, "I'm fine," and his his he was vitals. Quite the yeah, I mean, if if he were to tell us it was you know raining and thundering outside, you'd almost believe him. He okay. he was that. Um, so he, they were looking at me and I said, I'm telling you my son's on drugs. And they're like, well, we'll figure it out when we get to the hospital. So there was some sense of relief that I wasn't crazy, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, scared, um, but also, okay, I knew this was going on. Let's, let's get him help. Sent him, sent him away at the same time my father um, was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. So there was a lot of chaos going on at our house. When Rob came out, I fought the school and told him I didn't want to send him back. It was his senior year. I wanted him to do, there's a program called Home and Hospital where they do it on the computer. Just wanted to give him every opportunity to do the right thing. Right. I deleted all his contacts in his phone. I knew that he could put them back if he chose to. We mm -hmm. redid his room. I mean, we, and so like I said, there was so much chaos going on. I was taking my dad back and forth to Hopkins. Rob seemed to be doing good. He graduated early in December, had a job, signed up for a college class. Um, and him and my father were very close. And the only thing I can figure is that took a toll on him because my father died in our living room um, in hospice. It was a blessing to be able to take care of him and yeah. help him through his journey of yeah. death. And nine months later, Rob died in his bedroom. So it, I didn't know he was using heroin. He was so young, he was 18. So I didn't go through the typical in and out of rehabs, knowing he was using heroin. I, I naively thought, oh, he was 17. He was experimenting. We, <clears throat> we sent him away and now he's back and it's all good. But it wasn't, yeah. How did you process the loss of your son? Um, I ran away a lot. I, his girlfriend had come over 
it was a Sunday morning. It was actually, it was beautiful outside. And I was making lunch in the kitchen with my daughter and Robert's girlfriend came over and we were talking and she said, I'm gonna go wake him up. And I heard a scream within like 30 seconds and scream you never wanna hear. I knew I ran upstairs. I took one look in his bedroom and I just kind of knew it was his mom and all I could think was get me out of here. I had that overwhelming urge to get out of the house. Um, I did know that I needed to call 911. I called 911 and then ran out of the house into the neighbor's house and just fell on the floor and started screaming. Um, I think I went into some sense of self-survival. I remember sitting in my front yard having a very defining moment knowing that my life would never ever be the same ever and then I don't know for the next few months I, I have a good friend who lives in California I just I got on planes I traveled I think I distracted myself every way I possibly could yeah. um, I, I hadn't even had really time to process through m the grief of losing my Your dad father, who huh? I talked to every day and then to lose my son and both in my home I thought I'm, I never want to go back in my home again now that's a place of comfort for me yeah. um, and I knew, I, just, I knew that I needed to do something to help myself heal, but also help other people. Mm -hmm. So on the year anniversary of his death, I started something called Rising Above Addiction. It's a nonprofit. We raise money to help pe get people into treatment. I used to avoid travel because I was afraid to fly. And when we started Rising Above Addiction, I thought, well, what's the one thing I can do completely out of my comfort zone yeah. because I know how hard it is for people to stay clean. Mm -hmm. So I jumped out of a plane and we raised over $8,000. got on a plane and took a <laughs> ride, y'all. Yeah. Okay, hold yeah. on. Because oh, I wasn't prepared for that. I wasn't either. You jumped yes. out of yes. a plane. And I got to spread my father and Rob's ashes. I had some of them mixed during the free fall. I, I carry both of them in a little locket in my bracelet and a hard locket. Um, How high up were you? I think we were 10,000 feet. If you would have told me that I would have done that, I would have Ugh. said you're absolutely correct, but it was one of the most awesome things I've ever done. And when you lose a child, you're not wow. really afraid of stuff anymore. Mm. Change, it changes everything about you. How did it affect your daughter? She had to, everybody saw him, she had to see him. Um, she's incredible. She's in her second year of college. Um, she wants to be a nurse. She's incredibly strong. I would have fallen apart. I don't know how she's doing so well. I have no idea. But she's she's doing awesome, and well, she her is mom's my jumping lifeline. Jumping out of planes. I mean, she yeah. can, she has to come from good stock. Yeah. Well, I wanted to show her that mom's. I'm. My um, mental release, I run a lot. And the day after Rob died, I, I had to go out for a run. And I just, I wanted to show her that mom's not gonna quit. I mean, I wanna be with her here as much as I wanna be with him there. Mm -hmm. um, but her life matters and I didn't want her to feel like mom was gonna give up because lost her brother. And mm -hmm. it, so, yeah, she, she's doing incredibly well. And then um, a little over a year ago, I opened a girl's sober home called Reclaiming My Life. It's named after Rob using his initials. His okay. initials were RML. And that um, we house about eight girls and it's a 12-step recovery house. And it's just a 
place where it's like a bridge between treatment mm -hmm. and the real world where the girls can support each other and start their journeys of recovery and just a safe place for and them. And what are the ages? From 18 to we've had women in their 50s. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And so you run two nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Full-time. It's become full-time. We have, I'm a community partner with our state's attorney's office, and we just partnered up with their drug court fund mm -hmm. and did our first golf tournament. I do a five-mile run every year in June, which has gotten really big. We have a music fest, and yeah, and then it's an annual skydive, which is October 27th. That's not a fundraiser. That's more of just getting everyone together, and people can check something off their bucket list and Believe it or not, we had 130 people sign up last year. If you'd I'll like to come. I'll stay on the ground. <laughs> I felt that one coming. I'll stay on the ground and watch it go. We'll be right back after this to hear more about the nonprofits, but also how she got involved in This Is My Brave. What if I told you that you could stop the negative tape from playing inside your head? What if with seven simple steps, you could leave the pain of the past behind and live every day as your true, authentic self. It is possible, and you can do it. The ebook, Seven Simple Steps to Beat Emotional Baggage How to Become Whole, Healed, Healthy, and Happy, shares how to resolve emotional baggage and feel free to live true to your own personality, spirit, and character transform negative thinking into positive thinking and become equipped to boldly face your past and resolve emotional pain. Get your free copy at thatanitalive.com slash ebook. <laughs> and we are back with Tammy discussing her two nonprofits that were birthed out of the loss of her son. And like how many people have gone through, skip the skydiving. How many, <laughs> how many people have gone through your girls program and? So we've probably helped about, I think it's about 130 people. We've helped in one way or another send a treatment, whether that be paying for rent for sober living mm -hmm. or helping towards detox or helping. And how long have you had it? It was three years on September 14th. Whoa. Yeah. Up, running, and in full force helping people. It Really, organically, it has just grown. I struggle with my faith a little bit, and there's no rhyme or reason for why it's gotten so... Uh, so much so, traction, so fast. It, it has to be, Rob. I always say that I feel like Rob's guiding the ship, and my job is to keep the energy right with it. And Okay. Yeah. So how did you get involved in This Is My Brave? Well, Susie, who you had on, mm -hmm. on your program, was in my wedding. <laughs> and we lost touch, you're just through life, life got busy, mm -hmm. and then we reconnected. And she reached out to me about This Is My Brave. I think they wanted to add the addiction piece to it. Okay. Uh -huh. um, and how I've overcome through the journey and just, you know, what I've been through. Mm -hmm. 
So I was very honored to be able to touch on the addiction part of it because it all relates. I mean, there's there's something going on mm -hmm. that makes a person start using in the first place. And yeah. yeah. So are you one of the cast members on October 21st? I am. And how are you going to share your story? Because I understand it could be poetry, it could be music. I like to write. So like I write Robert a birthday letter each year and a, um, a letter on the anniversary of his death. So I wrote, I wrote my story. Just how, you know, where I've come from my childhood and I used to, you know, have a lot of anxiety about stuff and how I've overcome that and how mm -hmm. Rob has just freed me and, and all the gifts that he's given to me through his death that I wanna honor. Wow, so do you, it's five minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And do you think you'll be able to just smoothly get through it? I think so because... I know the audience is not. We're, we're going to be right. a basket case by the time yeah. you're, you're done with that letter. Yeah. How I, do you think you're going to do it? I think when I talk about it, I sometimes talk about it like it, I'm talking about somebody else because it's the only way to get through it. Like I notice talking with you, my jaw starts to hurt because I don't even realize I'm clenching or I get, okay. Okay. Um, I don't know, like the shakes jittery. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's my way. Um, I don't know. What made you decide to get involved? With This Is My Brave? Mm -hmm. To help drop the stigma, I am put a face to it. My son was 18, good looking guy, great personality. We lived on a cul-de-sac, suburban Maryland. And it, it happened, it happens to a lot of people. Yes. It does not discriminate. It's ugly. It's it rips families apart. It rips communities apart. And if I can help one person, that that's a lot to me. Like I get calls almost daily and sometimes it's from parents and I can help them do what I couldn't do. Like when I was trying to get Rob into treatment, I'd mm -hmm. spend the day on the, on the phone with the insurance companies and they would tell me he didn't need inpatient. I can help navigate people. I, I, I have relationships with different treatment centers. I have relationships um, with different people who can help guide them to the places they need to go. Mm -hmm. And that's a real honor. And um, I helped, one of the, the biggest things I did, and it was the smallest amount of money, was help a guy get a pair of shoes. He had no shoes. And the treatment center he was at sent me a picture of him mm -hmm. and his shoes with a big smile on his face. And that was, it's stuff Good. like that. Mm -hmm. Like that was such a big deal to him. Mm -hmm. So it's. So that's the one that I said, yet, yeah, is that the person you've helped so far? that you would say has made the biggest impact on you? Um, I think all of them do in a different way. Sometimes I get calls or Facebook messages saying, you know, you saved my life. I was on a program and a woman called me and she said, I'm never up in the middle of the night. She said, I happen to be up. This is, I guess this is probably the one that's touched me the most. And she said, I turned the TV on and I happened to see an interview with this lady talking about her son and my daughter's really struggling and I need help. And I said, well, that's me. And um, this was almost a year ago and we still reach out to, to each other every mm -hmm. now and then. And she said that she really feels like God made her get up that night and watch this show because her daughter, 
who has twins, mm. is now doing well, has went to treatment, is in sober living, has her kids back, and the mother is just, it, she's always like, you, you saved my life, you saved my daughter. And I said, no, you, I always tell people they saved my life. Every time I get to help somebody, it, yeah. it helps me to heal and it makes me feel like Rob's death um, has some sense of a purpose. And he's able to live forever. His memory will never die because he's helping so many people. And he was such a jokester, so I always picture him saying, don't worry, Mom, I'm like Jesus now. I'm saving <laughs> lives. <laughs> so You just keep doing what I tell you to yeah, do. <laughs> yes, exactly. He loved that. He went to therapy one time, and I didn't know this until after he died. And he told his therapist, that woman, meaning me, needs to get a job. She is up my ass all the time. She's got too much time in her. She's always worried about what I'm doing. He said, so I went to Kohl's and filled out an application for her. Well, nobody ever called me, but I laugh now. I'm like, yeah, Rob, you've got me jobs. You've got me busy. You wanted me to have a job. Now I have two because <laughs> I stayed home. And yeah, he thought I just, you know, worried too much about him. So, mm. yeah, but I wrote him a letter about a month before he died. And, and I found it the other day, actually. And it said, Rob, it's really hard to feel like I'm preparing for you to die. I said, I'm really worried about you. And I remember telling him that in his bedroom. He's like, Mom, everything's good. I got this. Everything's good. With heroin, opioids, and what was termed at one time the gateway drug, marijuana, being, I mean, legal, almost legal right. all across the nation. To that parent out there that is in denial because they're struggling, they don't know what to do, so they're not doing anything, what would be your recommendation? To make a call and that people don't understand that marijuana is a gateway drug because if your child or your family member mm -hmm. has that gene to be an addict, mm -hmm. that's how they start. Alcohol, marijuana, and it leads to other things. And even marijuana now is being laced with stuff and people are dying. It's make a call. Do not, I always say if your gut is telling you something's going on, mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. denial does your kid no good. And people say, well, I don't want to kick my, my child out. And one of the biggest lessons I learned when my kids were home, mm -hmm. I felt like everyone was safe. So when I got up that morning, I went for a run. I worked out, making lunch, doing all my normal things while my child was dying in his bedroom. So by making it safe for them to be home doesn't always work either. And you have to do the best you can at the time and make the best decisions. And that's, that's the only control you have. What resources do they have to reach out to? They can reach out to me anytime through Rising Above Addiction. Okay. Um, and that the website health is? Um, risingaboveaddiction.com. Okay. Your health department. Um, there are hotlines like you had given that can direct people where to go, but anybody who needs help can reach out to me and I will direct them to where they need to be. Because this will air in Northern Virginia, but then when we post it, we post it to uh, social media, YouTube, so it may be seen all over. Do you only help people that are in the DMV? No. Or, okay. No, I've, I've had people call me from California. We have connections to places all over so because people we have helped 
um, different centers, they've flown to different states to get help. So no, I mean, we, we can get them a number in the state that they're in okay. to get help. How does, a, how does a family overcome the embarrassment of having an addict in the family? Well, see, I never felt embarrassed. I never felt like there was shame. There should never be shame. Okay. Um, I always look at my, my two kids. Rob was determined to always stay 10 steps ahead of me. My daughter came out from the start doing her homework, wanting to do things, right? I mean, mm -hmm. am I responsible for his death? Am I responsible for her success? We, we do the best we can and there is no shame. Addiction is, I, I'm lucky that I, I don't have an addiction. I, I was a teenager, mm -hmm. I drank, I did things. I just didn't have that gene. Um, once that drug takes over, women don't take care of their babies. No, no person in their right mind would ever say, I'm, I'm gonna take this drug and let my baby just, just lay there. Mm -hmm. The drug is, is in complete control. So anybody who thinks that it's a choice, it is not. It's, it's not a choice, I've learned that. So for a parent that is, say, on the fence or struggling, they think something, but they're not quite sure, what are some of the signs they can look for? I always say check their room, um, anger. Um, it, it, it really is down to your gut. If you're having that feeling, mm -hmm. like I think something's going on, you already know something's going on. But then don't they have to prove it when they call the number and say, hey, I need help because I, my teen is? You can drug test your child. I did that a lot, but. Um, so a parent can take a child into I took, I took her up all the time to the doctor's office. Really? The, the problem is, is that there are things you can order over the internet, you can drink a ton of water, and that, that's what Rob was doing. So his numbers were skewed because whatever he was doing mm -hmm. to, to fake the test. Ah, uh, to dilute the yes. level of drug yes. that was in his system. So at-home tests, they can come out negative. That doesn't mean your child isn't doing that. I say get a therapist, get help, get, call your local, even the school counselor, there, okay. there are signs okay. that your child, something's going on, whether okay. it be behavioral changes, grades changing, the people they're hanging out with, there, there are signs. Okay, because I know for some blended families, it can be kind of difficult because the step-parent isn't the parent that has watched that child, may not be the child right. that watched that child from birth. But you know. So, even that step parent, when you have that gut feeling, mm -hmm. you know, and you go to them and you talk to them, not that they're always gonna tell you the truth. Yeah. Or be coherent when you go to them. Right, exactly. No one wants their loved one to choose suicide as their only option. Tammy is making her mark to bring change to our society. Through her nonprofit, she helps people find treatment and encourages them to remain on the road to recovery. To reach out to Tammy, find her on Twitter, Instagram. Mm -hmm. What's your handle on Twitter? Above Addiction on Ab Twitter. So on Twitter, it's at Above Addiction. Yes. Okay, and then? Um, we have a Facebook page, the Rising Above Addiction Facebook page. Rising Above Addiction Facebook page. I'm Anita, your host. Be sure to check out thatanitalive.com for where and when to see our next episode.